Good morning and welcome to the Environmental Echo, PWGC's monthly podcast. I am Paul Boyce, CEO and President of PWGC and your host. And today we've got, a, uh, as always, we've got a great topic. You know, this is one that I, I find very interesting, very fascinating, and unfortunately, I do not know very much about. But our, our firm and a lot of other people are, are well into this. It's, uh, you know, utilizing some of the latest technologies out there. And we're going to be talking about drones and how they're applicable to environmental work and, and the environment, you know. And we've got some great guests from our own staff today at PWGC. We've got Peter Hayes who is our uh, GIS analyst, specialist. What's the title there, Peter? Uh, Senior GIS analyst. Oh, that's right. We got promoted. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you very much. We've got Usman Chaudhry, who's been with us for eight years now, which that's, again, another surprise. Uh, It seems like just yesterday you walked in the door. (laughs) <laughs> right? Yes, yes. And yes. your role at PWGC, I know we have you out of our Saratoga Springs office, but yeah, what's yeah. what's your exact title these my days? My exact title these days is Senior Hydrogeologist. I work most of my time in Bohemia office, but, you know, we started Saratoga office, so we needed people to build that up and come up to the speed, so I volunteer to... You know, excellent. There for a couple of years. So uh, again, getting back to the topic at hand. Before we start that, I just want to remind our listeners and and, and viewers: uh, if you guys have any questions or looking to reach out to us in, in any shape, form, or manner, you have a, a question, a comment, a thought you want to share on, on the topic or something else, you have uh, topics we want to you want to bring up. Best way to get a hold of us is uh, our website, which is www.pwgrocer.com backslash podcast. And uh, it's been a great way to, to, to reach our, our listeners and viewers and, and, and get a hold of us as well. Uh, and we do the best we can to get right back to you. So if anyone has any questions, comments they want to share with us, please feel free to do that. So again, drones, you know, um, for, for those of us that, that don't know what they are, we're talking about the, the aerial drones, right? The ones we send up in the air, we fly them. You know, you need licenses, you need pilots, you need all sorts of technology and, and know-how and, and how to use them. Um, so let's just let's start with you know how and why did we get involved with this stuff at PW Grocer you know so um, I will just relay a little bit of background story so we had a client that called us um, he had a site where he wanted to do a stockpile inventory and Chris Omskog who is a senior vice president right and now and a past guest well he's I don't know if we had, we've had him on the show yet but he's uh, you know. <laughs> We will one of these days, yes. Yeah, we, I was returning from uh, one of my sites in the city on LIR. He called me, and it was like one of the clients called, can we do it? And we were obviously, you know, in PW Grocer, and especially in the group, we were already, you know, researching in this kind of technology in 2018. So we had a small drone, and we were like, yes, we can do it, you know. So we went on there. That kind of sparked that um, drone progressed. We did the imagery for the site. The client needed the latest imagery and he needed the stockpile inventory we, we did it for that site it worked out really good the results were good and that kind of sparked the drone progress in pw grocer and you know we saw the benefits of it that we what we can get from the drones so you know in terms of these drones right just to sh- I mean, I, I know a little bit about them, you know, and I've seen my nephews and everybody else is playing with these things, and I've seen guys down at the beach send them up and take pictures of us while we're surfing and stuff, and it, it's really neat. But what are they? How do they work? You know, what's the whole principle? I mean, I see rotors or propellers, you know, I, I, I not, they're not jet propulsion yet, but uh, Peter, how, how does a drone work? Yeah, so yeah, that's a great question. Um, so essentially, um, the drone really works pretty seamlessly, Um we're able to fly the drone typically around 200 feet, 250 feet. And uh, for those who aren't aware, 
Um, the drone has a camera attached to it. Uh, our camera is about is a 20 megapixel camera. So essentially, we're able to fly the drone over sites and take some really high quality imagery of these sites. Um, and through through that through receiving that imagery, we're able to really create some really interesting and quali high quality deliverables with uh, some great accuracy. I mean, again, I've seen young kids playing with these things at the beach at their backyards. Are they pretty simple or easy to? Manipulate, fly. I mean, can anybody do it? What's the deal with these things? So um, basically, drones can be used for two purposes. As you said, either they could use for like just for recreational purposes. You fly, you take imagery, or you could use it for commercial purposes. Like you know, commercial means that you're producing a product from a drone that's going to get you money. And if you're doing for commercial purposes, then you have to be a licensed Part One Hundred Seven FAA certified. UAV pilot that you need to take a test for. You need to study for that exam. And once you pass that, you get a license that you can fly the UAV, which is unmanned aerial vehicle license that you could do it for smaller drones. You could use that for commercial purposes. So yeah, anybody could do it, but to do it commercially, you need to have a license for recreational purposes. The drones are so automated right now. They have sensors on them. So if you turn on and if somebody's trying to learn, you could start from the beginner level and then you could go to the higher level. Depends upon, you know, what your skills are, how do you control it? And you can start from turning on all the sensors that will not let you hit a tree or a wall or something like that. And then you can, you know, once you get more hands on with the drone that you could go for like upper levels, like, you know, people are using it to get a very good imagery for just recreational purposes if you want that you know, once you get more hands-on, you use it more, then you can do it like anybody could do. I mean, Usman, I've seen some really cool YouTube videos that have had to been drones, okay? <laughs> it wasn't, yeah. I mean, it was just absolutely amazing. Yeah, imagine like, um, for example, in movie creation, they were using helicopters with somebody hanging and had a big camera on it, and now they're using like drones with high speed that they are doing like in action movie scenes, like chasing cars and stuff. So you brought up something I thought was a little interesting, and, and that's the you know getting this certified drone pilot license, right? Is the only requirement for that just to take a test and pass it, or do they do like a background check? I mean, is there any other type of courses you have to complete, or is, well, how do you, how does someone become a, a certified drone pilot? So basically, you have to take a web training. You know, it, there are different courses that are available online in which you study like the literature part of it, you study sectional charts and then you register for the exam and they do all the background checks. And then, you know, mostly for the staff, we consider doing some shadow projects also. Like if somebody's going to the site, they will take them and we have a hands-on training and then we go for the exam. And anybody could take that exam, but definitely they, as you said, they have to go through the application procedure. They have to study, they have to learn the charts and then the, you go for the exam part and once you pass, they give you the, uh, you have to register with FAA and then FAA does that all the checks and then they send you okay. the, the card for the drone license. Okay. And, and part of the commercial process, Peter, and, I, and, I, and you've showed me this before back in the office and, you know, you have to file a flight plan, right? Yes, that's, so yeah, if, that's if, correct. If you want to go out and fly a site or fly a structure or something, you got to file a flight plan, which I, I was like, holy cow, wow. Um, and you showed me it was all done online and it was done relatively quickly and you even done it um, 
not too far in advance of actually having to run out in the field because there's been times we've had clients, I got an emergency, I need somebody to get out here, and you're like, well, I got to do this first, and, and you've done it. What's the process with filing a flight plan for, for a drone uh, you know, flyover or, or imagery or whatever we're going to be doing? Yeah, so it's actually a very, very straightforward process in some cases. Um, so a few airports now have an automated s- system available, um, such as I believe MacArthur Airport, JFK ha- has now um, put that into place. Um, so that's, as you mentioned, for this particular site that we were working on at the time, they actually had that auth- that automatic authorization available. Um, so really, you before flying a site, you want to ensure that you if you want to make sure whether you are flying in in an authorized airspace or an unauthorized airspace. And if you're inside of an airport's airspace, then you want to make sure that you take the steps to receive that proper authorization. Um, so that so basically, you're sending your information as a licensed pilot. You're sending the, f- the height that you'll be flying at, generally the radius that you'll be covering. Um, so, yeah, that it's a v- very straightforward process. In some cases, if you're doing a more a flight that's like closer to an airport, it can become more rigorous. Um, and then you actually have to go through what's called the FAA drone zone. And through there, you, you fill out a more thorough application, which that sometimes can have more of a week-long review process. Mm. Um, so that's where things get a little bit more um, get a little bit more involved um, and take a little bit more time in planning. So and that's an interesting thing. You brought up authorized and unauthorized. I mean, there's you know places like you can't fly over, right? Um, what's the maximum height we could fly a drone at, say, here in Long Island, New York City, upstate? So um, FAA limit flying over is 400 feet even if the areas there no airspace limitations you don't want to go over 400 and usually the sites we are flying over you know either they are mine sites or are they they're like more populated um, so why why do they limit it 400 why not 500 is that just because of commercial aircraft or they're just worried you're gonna you know cause a problem or so basically, yeah, this is that, you know, the first right of way is for the commercial aircraft. So they want to limit it to a level where there is very less chances of you encountering a commercial aircraft or you going over a limit that can cause problem for other airspaces. Man, interesting. So, you know, what are the other requirements for flying these things commercially? I mean, besides height restrictions, I mean, when you file that flight plan, you know, and I assume it gets approved by somebody, right? What happens if you have to deviate from that flight plan? All of a sudden, something field conditions change, or you guys see something like, I really need to go and get a, an image of that, and it's outside of what I said. What happens? So, if if it's like a if it's for a matter of safety, say say there, say maybe a possibly a bird is flying close to your drone, and technically you're not allowed to fly above a certain height. In that instance, if there's a safety risk, you're able to kind of deviate from that plan, and then as soon as possible, when it becomes safe again, you should go back to the you know the plan that you originally uh, set out. Um, in terms of trying to receive imagery, um, there are some kind of workarounds. Um, in some cases, I've been able to work with some some of the uh, some people who have some more insight into how like the air traffic control towers work. Um, and at, for certain situations, some control towers, for example, will maybe only operate from 
uh, hypothetically from like eight to five. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then say it's in the summer, you may have some more daylight time right before that 8, 8 a.m. mark. Um, so you can kind of work with that time, uh, work around those time constraints. Um, so that you you have to guys, I guess, get a little bit creative sometimes. So that's that's a are you guys you're not allowed to fly after dark or something like that. I mean, obviously there's got to be it's line of sight. I've heard with mm-hmm. the, when you're operating the drone. Yeah. So for example, if you're going to a bigger site, um, some of our mining sites there are like maybe 200, 300 acres. We want to make sure that we have multiple peoples on site, so we have drone in sight all the time, and you know we are continuously communicating um, between each other to make sure that they have the line of sight of the drone. And also, we are not allowed to fly half an hour before, uh, after the sunrise and half an hour before the sunset. You could do those nighttime flyovers, but you have to file a special waiver to do the flyovers in the nighttime or in the dark or in less light. Oh, man, wild. I mean, because I know we, we, we do things not only just with, you know, um, photography or, you know, tele- televising stuff, but we do like thermal imagery and, you know, all sorts of really unique stuff that y- you may not see with, say, the naked eye, yeah. right? So you wouldn't even need daylight, per se, <laughs> to pick this up, especially if you're looking for, like, heat loss on a building or, or moisture or something like that, correct? Yeah, so I've worked with thermal drones. You have to be very precise and perfect for the day that you choose. It doesn't have to be super cold. doesn't have to be super hot. The moisture should be very moderate, you know, to kind of um, give you good results. Mm-hmm. Um, we have used for some of our clients that have the asphalt uh, facilities and, uh, you know, they, they store liquid asphalts and those tanks are heated by like gas most of the time. And, you know, they have asked us to fly over and see where the you know, heating leak is so they can check the areas for the insulation or if yeah. they need to do any repairs. And, you know, you have to see the other if impact also that that it's causing that, you know, once you repair that area, your gas bill goes down, you're more efficient in heating that area. Plus you could, you know, cover any potential leaks that might happen in the future beforehand. So, you know, that saves them a lot of time, a lot of trouble a lot and of money and a lot of money. <laughs> and, you know, rather than replacing 100%. the yeah, rather than replacing the whole tank now, they can focus on one area that they know that they need to focus on to kind of do the repairs. Uh, and it, and here's another thing that just jumped into my mind as we're talking about this. And I know both of you guys have, have mentioned this to me before uh, and, and you, you were just touching on it. weather conditions, right? If it gets too windy. We're not allowed to fly these things, or, or you guys just don't feel like going out and tell me it's too windy that day. What's 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 the real story here? So, so yeah, you should really be using um, your best judgment, and I think that's something we've kind of gained. You kind of gain experience in having flown now um, for multiple years. Um, typically, we try to try to fly when the wind speed is under like thirteen miles per hour. We have you know in instances when it's a very pressing timeline for a project. Um, flown at higher wind speeds, but again, we take many precautions when we're flying it and making sure, you know, you're, of course, obviously you should be maintaining your line of sight, but just again, being extra cautious when you're flying in these higher wind speeds. Um, in terms I mean, of what can happen, it'll just blow us off course, it'll knock us out of the air. What, what's the, or we're just going to get too shaky for a good picture? Well, what happens? I mean, uh, you know, first, as you mentioned, it might get more shaky for a picture. Um, usually what happens is before going out to a site because the drone flies on an automated path and we kind of make sure that, you know, we are collecting the image overlap that we're going to need for that project. So it might 
uh, you know, sway the drone away from that path a little bit, but drone will force the air to come back to the same point. But also, um, you have to see a lot of other things like, you know, it's going to use more battery power to fight the air to come back into the path. Plus, the sites you are flying on, like, you know, sometimes we tend to not fly in harvins in the areas that are more open, like a mining site, you know, because it will have more air. Or maybe if it's a press, if it's pressing to do that, we'll prefer to do it in a less populated area. Then, you know, the, if there's a site that nobody's there on, there's no buildings and it's like open site, then we might put a little bit buffer in like, you know, our wind speeds. But, you know, we would preferably not do it in a populated area where you can encounter people and have buildings and like that. So we would prefer to stay safer. Makes sense to me. I mean, again, I'm not the pilot. Right. And I know that besides just the environmental applications, I know there's other engineering companies that do like bridge inspections that used to have to, you know, guys would have to physically get out and climb on this bridge. And now they can, as long as they have line of sight with the drone, they can send it up there and get a really good clear picture. I mean, you guys know anything about that? We haven't done the British inspections. Well, that's that's not us. That's <laughs> yeah. not environmental. Right? Yeah. But yeah, but you know, they do have drones now that you can rotate cameras on 360 degrees. So yeah. you could go under the bridge and, you know, you could point the camera up and you can inspect the areas that you want. You know, um, I think we, I was in a training and they were discussing like there's some hammer uh, inspections that do for bridges. There's some uh, ways of doing that. So they might have got like to up to a point where they have like the attachments for those kind of special experiments. So if somebody wow. then going on to bridge, you can put like a small hammer or something that can do that for you. You just take the drone out and this is know. getting crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that, I think you brought up a really good point, Paul is just like the safety, the safety benefits of flying these drones. Yeah. You know, we don't, you don't have to send a person up there or like, I think even, even the uh, project we were just discussing before where we, um, where we got authorization to fly, that flight was actually for a boiler room explosion situation yep. um, at a, at one of our facilities. Um, so it, rather than rather than having to have somebody physically go up on the roof, we were able to fly the drone over the roof and see what the structure the what the structure was looking like at the time, if it was actually safe to go up there, and to get kind of a bird's eye view again. Um, so yeah, there's definitely the safety benefits associated with the, dr- with the drone usage. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you see um, some of the thermal drones have been used to kind of, um, you know, uh, study the s- slope stability, rather than sending somebody like these mining site might have steep slopes, rather than sending somebody on the slope, you do a thermal imagery of that yep. first. You see your moisture spots, you see if there's any cracks or anything that can cause, uh, you know, failure of the slope so you can you know handle it beforehand and you could you could save well and you guys brought up another good point that uh, you know a lot of people don't realize is these things are battery powered right yes and batteries add a lot of weight right what's the typical flight life i guess of a battery i mean how long can we keep a drone up in the air like uh, you know say one of our typical units so you know as it depend as as i said it depends upon the weather uh, the wind conditions like Right now it's winter, and you know if we have um, a very cold day, it's going yeah, to affect sure. the battery power. So it typically ranges between like the drone we have, which is um, DJI Phantom Four, the second version of it. Um, it 
typically is between 21 to 25 minutes. You know, I'm averaging for winters and, you know, with the wind conditions that we can encounter, usually it ranges between that. So sometimes we have to use like six to seven batteries if you're covering a very big site. Oh, yeah. That's an all-day project, huh? Yeah. Six or seven batteries. So, th- And how involved is it changing out of batteries? Is it just like, you know, like my cordless drill, bam, bam, it's in and out? Yes. So the drone knows where it flew from, and it knows the distance and the battery it's going to take to go back to that point where it flew from. So once it um, gets to a point where the battery is low, it starts beeping, and, uh, you know, then has a feature which we can manually use to bring it back to the point it flew from or it automatically comes back once wow. it knows that it cannot it's, go any further and, and now you guys bring you know and we've all seen like these um almost like laser light shows where they've put up like dozens of drones up in the air at once and they're all synchronized have we ever done anything with multiple drones at one time or we, we haven't haven't had to do that yet mm, we haven't had done that yet because you know most of the time that once we go out to the site um you know we are very focused on uh, you know the, the 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 data that we need from the site so we have originally planned and like but we could um you know we sometimes have rented specialty equipment as i told you you know thermal yeah. drones just to perform um the client specified you know inspections or what they need for their project interesting what and you know something else that you guys have taught me a little bit about and i don't know a whole bunch but and uh, like ground control right so you guys have these control points on the ground um explain how we use those what they are what wh- why it's important to do that and you know uh, you've mentioned once people have picked them up and stolen them on us so, but <laughs> um before we get into that you know really what what's the importance of having these little targets on the ground so basically um the ground control points we use are propeller points so there are um small square which has um uh, color markings on it and it has a solar panel in there and a gps system so the gps system is continuously collecting the elevation data while we fly over and uh, once we have done the flyover we bring the imagery back from the drone and once we are doing the processing then we can once we have done the initial step where we stitch up all the photos that we have collected together, then we go on to the software and we see the imagery and then we select those ground control points to correct the elevations up to a level of the accuracy where they are in like maybe quarter of an inch of accuracy. Holy cow. I mean, I know we've used this in like, uh, we've, We've had folks on the podcast before with the, the mining industry. They're, they're excavating these gigantic pits or holes to, to you know, get sand, gravel, stone, you know, and, and we're doing these, they have stockpiles. They want to do reserve analysis, and I know we've used the drones for that before, and you're down to the quarter of an inch accuracy? Yes. That is, I mean, that's impressive, we, especially at that scale. Yeah, so we usually do those, um, you know, asset management for our mining clients where we do these stockpile volumes so they know that you know how much they had produced how much they would produce and you know we have been tested time over time where the clients get our number 
they have their own internal numbers also and they have compared with us so you know the error margin is with few hundred yards which is very good for them i would say for that yeah, again yeah. that scale yeah and 100%. They, yeah and they have used they they are using our numbers some of the mining clients we fly over every quarter to give them the numbers and they use those numbers to get their yearly reports out and you know keep their stock up to date Wow. And, you know, just start talking about some of the applications we've done. You know, we've mentioned, uh, you know, emergency situation with a client who had an explosion in a building. We've talked about the uh, reserve analyses from, from mines. But Usman, I know I've sent you out on a couple of water-related um, activities um, like ponds or marine construction. Can you describe a couple of those applications that we've used the drones for? So um, we have used it for um, some some of the lake restoration projects that we have done. Oh yeah, you know that was also a topic on the podcast for our listeners. <laughs> yeah, so we have used that over there. We have done which I would call um, a construction progress reports. You know where we have taken the imagery and where we have taken the elevations to kind of see where the lake when it was drained was originally uh, at it when was it was super cool yeah. <laughs> it really was yeah yeah so you know and then when we kind of uh dredged it which depth it came up to and you know the initial the middle part of the construction and the last part where you know we start to kind of um, restoration restoration process yes and the interesting one that we have done is the Sag Harbor Wharf, where oh, yeah. it was another, amazing. Another great project, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was amazing. Like, we have started from initially how the wharf looked like. Then we had um, the progress in the middle of when they were doing in construction phase and the amazing the last phase that they have done. And yeah, it, um, it, it is neat to see that transformation when you start out with this, you know, structure that really needs some TLC and and the final product, you end up with this, you know, really amazing, beautiful um, public benefit type of thing with, you know, uh, I mean, it was really cool. Yeah. I mean, um, you could actually see the progress, but it's a very good marketing tool also, you know, you could see the... Uh, For the village. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. It's a very good tool that you could see the progress, you could see, you know, um, actually the thing that was before and what it came out to be and, you know, how it's going to attract different people from around the world. Um, the other projects that, you know, was very interesting of, we did a beach restoration project with one yep. of the clients. So you could actually see that, um, you know, how the beach was eroded and then they started leveling it with sand and, you know, they started putting in sand that we were able to calculate how much sand they have put down and, you know, actually the effect after that is that, you know, you have saved a lot of real estate around that beach from getting er eroded, you know, and getting uh, affected by that beach erosion. So that that was a good project. There's been a lot of good projects with these yeah. things. You know, <clears throat> another thing that I thought was interesting, I've been to a couple like, you know, trade shows for the engineering, you know, industry and whatnot. And uh, occasionally they have these, these drone vendors there, right? And, yeah. you know, I, I've seen ours and then I've seen what's out there, right? And these things are half a million dollars plus, you know, I mean, probably even more now with inflation and everything else that's been going on. Um, can you tell me a little bit about some of these more advanced things that maybe it's beyond what we're doing? I mean, it's it just, it was incredible what I saw. The thing was huge. Well, there's also, there are fixed wings, uh, fixed wing drones, which can cover a bit more area than our propeller. Uh, so what's that, like a giant model airplane, you tell me, Peter? Essentially, that's what they wow. like. <laughs> Um, and yeah, there's also drones that are better used for like these bridging, bridge inspections we yeah. were talking about where you can get closer up to like, cause one of the issues we 
can run into with a dr- with our drone is if you get too close to like something that a metal object that can mess with mess up with your connection. Um, so that could interfere with the way you're controlling it. And oh wow! So and so I think we've had those issues, haven't we, Usman? <laughs> yes, yes, we we had those issues. Um, you know, especially uh, flying along. Uh, you know. Millions of dollars of yachts. Yeah. <laughs> you have to be very careful. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, um, then we can come over that, like, you know, uh, there are technologies available that can, um, you know, remove the effect of that signal, you know, problem around me- metallic things. Um, and also, you know, there's like drones that I was looking into one of the videos that had like a cage around it to make sure that if you can fly in bigger size pipes, like I was wow. discussing it with Chris. We had the projects like, can we do an inspection inside the pipes? I was like, maybe we, if we could see this drone is available for rental, we could, you know, as I told you before, we could rent out specialty equipment if you need it for just for one project use that we know of. So they're flying drones out. in the pipes? Yes, you could fly. That's it in incredible. There. <laughs> if it's well, what a big happens size with, pipe. with the line of sight? Are you still responsible for that? Because it goes into a pipe, it's going to be real hard to see. So. You know, you get a real-time traction on the, the controller also, and you right, you know, it's it's hard to see, but the cage around that drone is a build-up for a way that, you know, that it's going to protect your drone. And if you are inside, like, um, say, for example, a two-foot pipe or something like that, you know, um, the, the problem with line of sight is to make sure that, you know, you are not interfering with the commercial flights, you are not causing anybody harm, or, you know, you, you're not putting anybody's safety in you know, in danger. But in the pipe, you know, you're not going to encounter that. Like in an empty pipe, if you just want to okay. see where it ends up or where it goes, the length of the pipe, or, you know, see the inside of the pipe, you could actually introduce. It's basically like a doing um, borehole imagery, but using a drone. Well, I mean, I've also heard, you know, and maybe not us, but I've heard people flying them inside buildings even, you know, to, to get up and you got maybe a large auditorium or something and they're doing an inspection or, or trying to take a look at something. I've heard of them using it inside the building. Is that correct? Yeah, you could use it inside, um, you know, as I told you, once you, like, I might have done like maybe more than 500 flights. So, you know, you, as you get savvy with the controls, you have more control over the drones and you can turn off the sensors and, you know, you can do a free flight. Wow. But you need to make sure that, you know, there's nobody in the way that you can put their safety in danger. So safety is the first priority. So we want to make sure that whatever we are doing, um, we are be very cautious of our surroundings. You know, if we're doing inside a building and if I'm flying over area, I would, not fly over on top of somebody's head, you know, so I would yep. make sure the area that I'm flying over inside the building is cleared out. It's very interesting, you know, and then the other things I've read, if, uh, and I've seen YouTube videos and whatnot, you've seen, uh, you go outside and an eagle or a hawk sees your drone <laughs> and is very curious. Have you guys had any instances with, um, you know, birds or other <laughs> airborne critters uh, coming in and attacking or being real curious? Um, I mean, sometimes they will, like, they'll be nearby while you're flying, like, a flock of birds will, and, again, that comes down to, like, if, say, you're doing a flight path, you need to be ready to switch it back into manual mode and, you know, drop your altitude quickly if necessary. Um, so, again, that comes kind of comes back to um, safety is the first. First, safety is the key, and then, you know, return to getting your deliverables that you're getting, trying to get for your client. So the safety definitely comes first. Um, but yeah, that's definitely something that we kind of run into at a lot of sites. You know, you'll, you'll see flocks of seagulls 
and uh, geese, geese all around. I mean, especially <laughs> you talk about these water bodies we're going over and stuff. And, you know, yeah, I mean, I've had them hit my car. You know? I mean, if it hits our drone, forget it, you know. There's going to be nothing left of the thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes I've seen that the noise that drone makes, it kind of, you know, they don't want to come near it. But sometimes, you know, as you said, a hawk or a more aggressive bird that has the curiosity can come down. But if I see something like that, I would preferably, you know, bring my altitude of the drone down a little bit, you know, and uh, be within, like, visual sight of it and make sure that I have the manual control so I can, you know, uh, maneuver it as needed rather than being on automatic controls. Wow, wow. And you guys, you touched on this a little bit earlier, too, is, you know, now that we've, we've collected all this data, you know, this whatever GPS and imagery and, and thermal imagery and, and, you know, just analysis of slopes and moisture and, and, and heat and, and you mentioned, you know, downloading and processing it, you know, and what you guys have told me and what you've shown me, it's a pretty involved process and it's, it generally takes a little bit of time. Can you describe what goes on once, once we collect the data, what do we do with it? How do we get it off the drone and how do we use it? So, you know, um, as with everything, um, you know, the priority is to make sure that, you know, the data that we collect is safe and, you know, it's, um, it's used as per our client's requirements, you know, how it's being used. So we have a very good computer in-house, which we spend um, oh, a lot of thousands money. of dollars <laughs> yeah, on. Yeah, we spend know? a lot of money. So we have a capability of, um, you know, uh, processing this data very quickly and very efficiently. Um, we use um, uh, processing software of the photo. It's a photogrammetric software that, you know, I'm certified in had training on it so you know i'm a certified user so we use it in-house we train the new staff on that also so we do all the imagery and do it in-house processing it is a process that takes time but you know we want to make sure that all the data we collect is saved and we have records of all the you know all the data in-house to you know keep it safe and you be used as clients requirements so we do in-house processing of all the imagery and we produce all the data in-house I mean, so so, what do you? How do you get it to do the computations then to estimate? You know, how many cubic yards are in a stockpile of sand or gravel or something like that? What's involved with that? Yeah, so essentially, the the software that Usman was just discussing, um, it essentially just pieces together all this imagery, and that imagery is already geotagged. Um, so once that all gets pieced together, it creates what we call a point cloud. Um, and through that, we create a DSM. Don't want to get too too technical for people here, <laughs> but um, but yeah, essentially with that point cloud and that information, we're then able to draw around the stockpiles and perform these volume calculations within Pix4D, and also kind of and then once we kind of have all those deliverables, we're also able to kind of work seamlessly with that data with our other softwares in house like Civil 3D. Oh yeah, yeah, I've seen what you guys do with that. It's, it's absolutely um, incredible. So yeah, the, it's it's really, really a very impressive software. Really um, can get us some very accurate and I think imp- yeah impressive deliverables for <sighs> our clients. Uh, I mean, this this drone stuff is absolutely fascinating. Do you guys have anything you want to add to the to conversation before we wrap it up for the day? I mean, any any parting thoughts or something we didn't cover? Mm, yeah, I would say that you know how as Pete said, the data incorporates with other softwares. Um, I would like to add on that this data incorporates with the other data also, like some of the sites that we have gone, we have gone from like under the water data to incorporating the drone data. 
you know, we have um, used uh, what's called hydron, uh, a drone that is basically Submarine. like a boat. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. like a boat and that collects a bitmetric data. And what we have done is like we have used that bitmetric data and we uh, use um, an eco-sounder to collect the data. And then we have merged that data with our drone flyover data to get um, the reserve analysis, which is under the water, wow. plus the reserves. I that forgot are all about that. That yeah. that was really impressive. That one. Yeah, yeah. So it, uh, you know, and um, we have also used, um, uh, you know, some of uh, imagery from under the water. Um, that was um, some project that we did to find out and locate like big boulders <laughs> that are in there that. You know, the client wanted to know to make sure that they have the machinery to kind of remove the boulders so they don't get in the way of their suction system. So, yeah, we have we've done very interesting projects. Really cool. Pete, anything you want to add? Um, yeah, I just want to say, I mean, I think from, like, that initial project that Usman mentioned that we started out with, I think we've really come a long way, and even it's been I, a... Re- I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. I think it's been a relatively short time period, but even so, we've, you know, taken on some really interesting projects, and I think we even have a lot more room to grow. Um, the whole industry, the whole drone kind of industry, if you want if you want to say, um, is also growing super rapidly, and I think we're, we're growing along with well, that. I don't mean to be cliche, but I think the sky's the limit up to 400 <laughs> feet with these drones, huh? Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you, you want to see uh, anything that you do has, you know, pros and cons so you want to see the pros are like as as i mentioned multiple times during this like safety is the first priority always so using a drone you know you are making sure that you know you have all the safety measures done that you know like um you don't want somebody climbing a slope in a mining site you would rather send a drone and get the data collected rather than sending somebody on so you have removed a huge safety uh, you know danger from there so um that's why people like drones the other thing is the data collection is very quick you know very efficient the results are good you know basically what we work on is what we get the feedback from our clients the imagery we are getting like somebody if would say that okay we have this site you fly over today so they are getting the imagery from the today today's date they're not getting an imagery from 2020 or yeah, six months ago or a month ago. They are getting the data today, fresh data. That is very important to the clients because, you know, they are building on what they are seeing today. So we had clients that, you know, I'm not, we, we use the old imagery also like one of the projects where we had, um, uh, I was the, uh, you know, I was managing that project. So we had a client that called us and he had, um, tenant that had stockpiled material on their site and now the tenant had left and they have left more material than they were supposed to now what do we do he called us so my first intent was like okay we're going to collect the data from today and then we compare the data from the previous previous sure and once we did that we went into uh litigation and (laughs) uh you know i was and uh chris was uh, you know we were expert witness on that and we saved our client a million dollar in disposal costs wow and i mean just it's absolutely fascinating and impressive that you can do something like that with a drone yeah. you know look what you saved them terrific right guys yeah 
All right. Well, I do want to thank both of you, Peter and Usman, uh, PW Grocer staff here, our senior hydrogeologist, right, and a senior GIS analyst. I got the titles right this time, guys. I should know this. I apologize. Yeah, I really appreciate you guys coming in and, and, and sharing your, your knowledge and wisdom and, and experience with these drones. It's, it is a fascinating and it's a fast-growing field, and uh, I'm looking forward to the future and seeing what else we can apply these things to and, and help you know, the environment and our clients and uh, you know, further, further the industry with them. Again, I'm Paul Boyce, CEO and President of PW Grocer, the host of the Environmental Echo, PWGC's podcast. And again, if you guys need to get a hold of us for any reason, whether it's a comment, question, or a future topic you want to bring up, let us know. The best way to reach us is www.pwgrocer.com backslash podcast. And I want to thank everyone for joining us today, and I hope you all had a nice time listening.